Hello and welcome. It is Eric Erickson here. Around the country these days, the phone number 877-97-ERIC, 877-973-7425. I want to start uh, with Eddie's phone call because we've gotten a lot of these and I'm getting them an email and it's actually relevant to what I wanted to talk about. Eddie, welcome to the program. How are you? Hey, Eric. Thanks for doing what you do, buddy. Uh, Thanks Um, so much. Yes, sir. I got an email from Produce Campaign today, and it kind of blasts Brian Kemp. So I fired back an email saying that if he in any way kept Kemp from being governor and giving it to Stacey Abrams, that I would never support him again. Well, I I don't think he's going to run for anything again. But, yeah, Uh, so let let me set the stage for this one because I'm getting a lot of these, Eddie. Uh, and it's so frustrating what's happening. David Perdue down in Georgia, Donald Trump nursing his grievance against Brian Kemp convinced David Perdue to run for governor of Georgia. And the Perdue campaign argument had been that essentially Brian Kemp didn't do enough to protect the integrity of the election and it was stolen from Donald Trump. Therefore, elect um, elect David Perdue. The, the problem is Perdue is out with a program today. He would create an entirely new police force in Georgia with the power to investigate elections in Georgia, That which is kind of an admission against interest that the governor of the state of Georgia doesn't actually have the power to do it. Now, for those of you outside of Georgia, to set the context here, there's actually larger national context here. In Georgia, unlike some states, so for example, in Florida and New Jersey, the governors appoint the secretaries of state, and the governor can fire them at their pleasure. In Georgia, the secretary of state is a separate constitutional office, and the Constitution of Georgia says that only the Secretary of State can oversee elections, and that includes investigating elections and the like. The governor had absolutely no constitutional role he could play. So for people saying that he didn't do enough, that that he, he should have done something, he, there's nothing he could have done. Now, the opponents will say, well, he could have called a special election or a special session of the legislature between November and January. Well, yeah, he could have, but had they changed the rules, the rules would not have been able to go into effect until after the runoff uh, because the Supreme Court has well-settled case law that says if you try to change the rules of an election like that, they don't go into effect until after the election. you got to operate a runoff on the same rules as the general election. So it's a lot of smoke and mirrors nonsense out there by the Purdue campaign to try to pick off Brian Kemp. What's going to happen is it causes Brian Kemp to spend a lot of money to win a primary while Stacey Abrams is out there loving it. In fact, Purdue admitted the only reason he jumped into the race when he did is because Stacey Abrams announced that she was running. The Abrams campaign and those close to Abrams have already come out and said that she essentially baited Purdue into doing this. Now, why? Why would she do that? Because by forcing Purdue out early, before the Republicans have their general assembly session, it is going to throw the Republicans into such a tit-for-tat game where they're fighting each other, they're not going to have a successful legislative session, which will deprive Brian Kemp of anything to run on. So David Perdue has already played into Stacey Abrams' hand by announcing when he announced, and the Democrats are open about it. And, And they're hoping that it scuttles the legislative session in Georgia 
Brian Kemp is advancing constitutional carry. That's one of his big issues. He's been a long advocate of it, and he wants to do it now. It gives him something to run on for his reelection. Purdue has played into Abrams' hand with this. By the way, there's only one person running in Georgia who has ever beaten Stacey Abrams. That is Brian Kemp. David Purdue could not even beat John Ossoff, a man best known for dressing up in Star Wars outfits. Pretty damning indictment there. And now in his latest campaign tactic of he's going to create a special police force to investigate election fraud, he's all but admitting the governor actually has no power to do what David Perdue says Kemp should have done. It's a fascinating display. I don't know anyone who wants David Perdue to do this. I don't know anyone who, who thinks it's a good idea. But he apparently, the, the air is different in Mar-a-Lago, and he was convinced to do it. Uh, there's always going to be a rabid fringe that will support it, but you're giving the election to Stacey Abrams by doing this if you aren't careful. Now, the larger issue here is the 2022 midterms nationwide. There is a new poll out nationwide that now has uh, like 30% of Republicans say they're in the party for Donald Trump, and 70% say they're in the party as Republicans. That in and of itself is a is suggests that Trump's control in the party is beginning to fade as people move closer and closer to 2024. He's trying to score settle in 2022, and the result is that he could very well cost the Republicans races. Take Arizona, for example. In Arizona, the attorney general there, Bronovich, is running. He's the guy who got the Supreme Court case, the Bronovich case, that essentially gutted the Democrats' abilities to uh, get Republicans to not uh, fix election laws. And Donald Trump hates him. Uh, Doug Ducey is thinking, he's the governor of Arizona, very popular governor out there. He's thinking of jumping into the Senate race too. And the president, President Trump opposes him. Uh, President Trump, there's a, some crazy woman out there who's actually out attacking Ron DeSantis right now for not doing enough in Florida. And she's trying to get the president's support. Around the country, Republicans are fretful that Donald Trump could sabotage the Republicans' opportunity to take back the Senate. And they are really fretful that, for example, in Georgia, he could embolden Stacey Abrams. The Democrats right now don't have a bench. They just don't have a bench. They've been wiped out so many times with the exception of 2018. There just aren't a lot of popular Democratic candidates out there on a nationwide basis. Jared Polis, the governor of Colorado, may be the most reasonable. What's his name in in, uh, North Carolina, the Democratic governor there? He wants to run for president if Biden doesn't run. If you elect Stacey Abrams in Georgia by getting on board the Purdue camp, you give the Democrats someone they very much would like to run for president. And the fear here among Republicans is that Donald Trump could potentially undermine the Republican advances and ironically kill off his own agenda by hurting the Republican advance in Washington. Georgia is kind of uh, the the, um, center of this, center of the universe when it comes to this. He's trying to defeat Brad Raffensperger the Secretary of State, who I suspect is going to have a more difficult time in re-election than people realize. He's got two candidates running against him. Uh, Jody Heiss, dear friend of mine, congressman from the 10th Congressional District, and uh, David Bell Isle, former mayor of Alpharetta, Georgia, which is a Republican area of the state. But then you've got Brian Kemp, and he wants to oust Kemp, who's been a very popular, good governor of the state, 
was the first governor, even ahead of DeSantis, to reopen his state. Uh, the economy is better in Georgia than in almost any other state in the nation. Employment at record lows. Uh, and he's got a record to run on, but for this effort to get Stacey Abrams elected. And, you know, Trump said on stage he'd prefer Abrams to Kemp. Now, his worst, I ah, didn't really mean it, but he's now said it twice. There's a problem there. Do we settle scores for President Trump or do we beat Joe Biden? Right now, most Republicans want to beat Joe Biden. And the trend lines for the Democrats are actually very bad out there. I mean, the Democrats are doing everything they can to cast doubt on the upcoming election. You know, for all of the hysteria out there about Republicans claiming that 2020 was stolen, the Democrats themselves are outdoing the Republicans and we haven't even had an election yet. If the Democrats fail... It might be the end of American democracy. I think we're one election away from the end of American democracy. If they take over in 2022, that is the end of democracy, and we're going to have authoritarianism. I hope that we can flip this and save democracy. If we can't, I got to, you know, I got to believe that fascism will take over in America, and that will be the death of democracy. The potential death of democracy. The death of democracy. The death of democracy. The death of democracy as we know it. This protest now is not simply about the death of George Floyd. It's about the death of American democracy, decency, and humanity. I'm sad to say that it also can lead to the, uh, the diminishment of democracy if not its death. It almost feels like we are witnessing the, the death of democracy here. The death of democracy line stood out to me, Jonathan, because I think that's just factually correct. Kind of the end of democracy, at least the end of our democracy. The return of Donald Trump to the White House could spell the end of democracy in America. We could have a Trump presidency, and that would, in my opinion, be the end of democracy in this country. I think that could be the end of our democracy, not to be too you know, pointed about it. Hillary Clinton said a couple of weeks ago that if he runs and wins, that could be the end of our democracy. Do you share that fear? I do. Are you going to stand by and watch this man destroy the democracy? I hope he will be beaten or else it's the end of uh, democracy as we know it. That will be the end of democracy as we know it. It's the end of democracy. That is a recipe for the end of democracy. The country is at risk as long as one of our two major parties is so committed to destroying our democracy. January 6th, is what it was, was a potential end of our democracy. It would essentially mean the end of democracy in the United States of America, and that is not hyperbole. This is democracy at stake. We are at a defining moment in our democracy, and if we don't have voting rights, I don't know that we have a democracy. In Georgia, they are trying to destroy democracy. A systematic effort to dismantle democracy, not just voter suppression, but subversion. We don't like who you voted for, so we're just going to give it to the other guy. This is the end of democracy in America. This is the beginning of the South, the South Africa strategy. If he had won, it would, we would have been, it would have been the end of this country. It would have been the end of democracy. And I am not exaggerating. I am not exaggerating. I am not exaggerating that these people are idiots. I mean, they're already doing this and we haven't gotten to November, which, by the way, tells you their feelings about November. When they're already at this point and they're already saying death of democracy, death of democracy, democracy is going to die, democracy will die if he comes back, democracy is going to die if the Republicans take over, democracy's dead if the GOP, democracy died last night at 10.33 p.m. because the filibuster lives. And the Democrats all said that that is what would kill democracy. Chuck Schumer tried to kill the Senate in doing so. The, 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 their rhetoric. Now, here's the thing. A friend of mine on, on Twitter noted this. 
You know how they balked when Selena Zito came up with the line, uh, take Donald Trump seriously, not literally. And they believe that Republicans take all this stuff literally. And the Republicans elite, the Republican leaders are afraid their base takes stuff literally. But the Democrats kind of understand their base doesn't really take this stuff literally. They all mean it figuratively and largely they mean we have to be in charge or else. I don't know that I buy that. I don't know that I do, but there are a lot of people who take that position. And if that is the case, if that's the case, well, we got issues here because you got crazy people out there and those crazy people themselves, they believe this sort of rhetoric. And so when you got Democrats out there saying democracy is at stake, you're going to have the James Hodgkinsons of the world take them literally and seriously, and bad things could happen. And when that does, when those bad things happen, the Democrats won't take any responsibility for it, and the media won't ask them to take responsibility for it, even though it's their own rhetoric that will have caused it. It was Democratic rhetoric that inspired James Hodgkinson to attempt the mass assassination of Republicans in Congress. And the moment it turned out he was a Bernie Sanders reporter, the supporter of the media dropped that story as quick as they could. I want to cut corners and just get to the chase. A lot of you hear podcast ads and radio ads for Bull and Branch, and you're thinking, eh, they're just telling you it because they're getting paid. I'm actually telling you it because I'm a customer. We actually have Bull and Branch sheets, and yes, they are an ad. Yes, this is an ad, but yes, I really am a customer. I only like to do ads for companies that I really like, and I love Bull and Branch. So does my wife. My wife actually heard the ads, and she wanted to try the sheets, and now they are the sheets in our house. Bull and Branch does not cut corners. They make super soft, wonderful sheets. They use the softest organic cotton they can find. They get better with every wash. They soften and soften and soften, and they only use 100% sustainable raw materials. They're the first fair trade certified manufacturer of linen. You can feel as good about your Bull and Branch sheets as they feel against your skin. They are so soft. They don't get too hot. They don't get too cold. They're just great. And every wash improves them. That, I'm telling you, is one of the coolest things about these sheets. It's like sleeping on a new bed every time you wash the sheets. It's great. Now, you can experience the best sheets you've ever felt at bowlandbranch.com. Get 15% off your first set of sheets when you use the promo code ERIC at checkout. That's bowlandbranch, B O L L. A-N-D branch.com, promo code Eric, E-R-I-C-K. Hello there. It is Eric Erickson here. The Eric Erickson Show. The phone number is 877-973-7425. I'm going to go to the phones. I'm going to go to Arthur. You're going to be up next. Welcome. Eric, good to, good to talk to you. Hey, I got a process question here for you. So back in the George Bush days, it was the gravitas comment. And then before Trump was elected, it was... He was an existential threat. Right. And now we've got the end of democracy buzzword going around. So does this is this like a talking points that goes out to the network executives and they just and they say, Okay, everybody mention this 
and use these words. It's just too, it's just too consistent. How do they do this? Okay, uh, that's such a great question, um, and, and you're about to make me look good. So I used to think that there was some coordinated message here back in the Gravitas days when Bush picked Cheney. It was Gravitas, Gravitas, Gravitas everywhere. Uh, I, I, having been in the media, having worked at CNN, having worked at Fox, uh, I, I can now tell you in some cases on the far left, there actually is a email listserv, a Slack channel, that a lot of reporters do get in, uh, and, and they've had it for a while, and a lot of them talk about it. But it's not actually a coordinated effort so much. What it actually is, Arthur, is one of them says something, and everybody else likes the idea. And they all run with it. So the left thinks this as well. So the left actually thinks there's a coordinated talking point on the right uh, that we're all saying Joe Biden is demented because someone on an email listserv somewhere said we need to start talking about Joe Biden having dementia. That's not what it is. In the same way that the left picking up these talking about about the end of democracy is not a coordinated effort on the left. What it is is a couple of influential people on the left or the right say certain things and everyone else kind of says, you know, that is a good idea and they seize it. Now, what typically happens in the way this comes about is the left and the right have these outside groups. And those outside groups, they survey the snot out of everything. And they focus group buzzwords. And they get on TV and they start using those buzzwords and they know they're the ones that work. And everyone else very quickly realizes, oh, yeah, this this actually, this sounds good. I'm going to grab hold of this as well, and I'm going to start saying this stuff. And the result is everybody starts talking about the end of democracy. Now, you don't have to be on a left-wing listserv to understand they already believe it. And so when one person starts talking about it, someone else says, oh, I'm going to talk about it too. And then I'm going to talk about it too. And pretty soon, they're all saying the same thing because they're all a bunch of lemmings. It's not just their side, though. Both sides do this. You don't, like, I will say stuff and I'll get so. Why didn't you give so and so credit? Well, I never heard of that person. I, I didn't know they said it. I just said it. And sometimes subconsciously, you pick stuff up through social media that other people are saying. Sometimes you have an original thought, but it turns out someone else had the same thought, and people get mad at you. But that's that's what actually is going on here. Is there's rarely a coordinated effort. Now, that's not to say there's not. Sometimes there is. Like for example, I really do think that the attacks on Neil Gorsuch is coordinated to a degree in that there's one person at the court pushing this story out to various friendly left-wing media outlets, knowing they're all going to run with it. They're not coordinating with each other, but they all have the same source who's pushing it out, and then that causes the rest of the media to grab hold of it. Uh, those, you know, people, when you learn how to play reporters, you can play them, and they're all in the same bubble with the left, so they're very easily and more likely than, than on the right to grab hold of the same talking points. By the way, I said it earlier, Ron, that American Airlines flight was going to London from Miami, turned back an hour into flight. So it's still stupid. All right. Uh, actually, this story is suddenly a national news story. Charlie and I were trading notes on it. It, it, it was it too local or not to talk about on a national show, even though I'm in Georgia. But it's suddenly uh, every major news outlet in the country is now running a story on this. So, Brad, I am going to go to you next. Welcome to the program. Brad, you there? Well, I don't know where Brad is, um, but that's okay. Uh, I can deal with the story. This is making national headlines now in Fulton County, Georgia. 
The new district attorney there, Fannie Willis, wants a special grand jury to help investigate former President Trump over his alleged attempt to interfere with the outcome of the 2020 presidential election. She sent a letter to uh, Superior Court Chief Judge in Fulton County, Christopher uh, Brazier, asking for the jury because a significant number of witnesses and prospective witnesses have refused to cooperate with the investigation absent a subpoena requiring their testimony. So the special grand jury would have the power to subpoena witnesses. It's got to be approved by the Superior Court judges there. Now, one of the deals here is that if you are on the left, you know, for years there have been these fantasies on the left that Donald Trump would go to jail. There's never been a real case to cart Donald Trump off to jail, except this one. And I don't know that it's significant enough. Part of the problem here is that it would be hyper expensive for a county in Georgia to try to prosecute a former president of the United States over him trying to get votes for the election in 2020. Uh, Trump says he did nothing wrong. Uh, the Secretary of State in Georgia referred the case to the district attorney because the Secretary of State's office is in Georgia, is in Fulton County, so that district attorney would be in charge of it. Uh, the Republicans won't touch this at all, but this is a new district attorney. She is a Democrat. Fulton County is a Democratic county in the state, and she would become a national hero to the Democrats if she took this case, and it looks like she actually wants to take the case and use a special grand jury and force these people by subpoena to testify in the grand jury. It would be a remarkable thing if this proceeded. Uh, it would be a, a national sensation if this happened. It would be extremely expensive if it happened. And I don't know that the taxpayers of Fulton County want to pony that up when just to have a redo in 2024 at the ballot box. Now back to the phones. Robert, you're going to be next. Welcome. Thanks, Eric. I, uh, previous segment, you answered a question for Arthur, which is what I originally called in about, but I want to tie it into Fulton County. Uh, talk about the, the death of democracy speak and the, what I call the mass hypnosis mentality and efforts that seem to be the, the pervasive part of liberalism, just like with Biden's plagiarism in every uh, speech he gives. The, the common speak seems to come out, and I agree with you, you know, somebody picks it up, they like what it says, it, it sold a copy here, it made some ad dollars there. But the, the, the Democrats have such a stronghold, of course, on the liberal media, but there, there is just never seems to be a counter uh, to that from the Republican Party. Is it because we're too conservative? And to that point, just like with the situation with the Fulton County DA, Every chance they get, they try to, and maybe it's because it's low-hanging fruit and it goes directly to their base, they're constantly trying to spin as many plates as possible to keep the GOP off kilter so that they're questioning themselves in the back room and they're, and they're doing just as bad as placating us on both sides of the aisle. Just, there just seems to be nothing or no one out of the, uh, the GOP uh, in any state uh, representing us that has a John Wayne backbone about them these days. And it's gotten progressively worse. And I just, you know, what say you to that? Yeah, yeah look, I, I, I agree that there's sometimes the, the Republicans don't fight on this. And I've raised this question before behind the scenes. And, and I'll tell you, the, the thing that I get from a lot of people 
uh, on the right is that, well, we've got Fox and we've got talk radio and Fox dominates, gets more viewers than CNN and MSNBC combined. And so we still get our message out, even though it seems like all these other people are are going elsewhere. Now, my, my pushback on this, of course, is that independent voters don't necessarily listen all the time to Fox or to talk radio. You got to go elsewhere. Uh, but overall, Republicans will tell you that it's not to them as great a concern as it is to you and me because they're still able to score victories in ways that suggest they couldn't if the media was that dominant. And that you or I may be focused on what's said on television or what's on the front page of the paper, but voters increasingly are not. And the Republicans are going to where those voters are. So, for example, uh, the the latest example I was given uh, a while back was with Hispanic voters. Republicans are targeting Hispanic voters where they are. They're targeting them on uh, Hispanic media. They're targeting them in the mail. They're targeting them on their preferred social media channels. You and I don't see it. We don't hear about it, but it's working. Republicans bypass the national media and come on talk radio shows around the country and talk to their base. They more and more target uh, shows that have an independent listening audience, and they do that. And then they spend time with local media. And this is something the Democrats actually misunderestimate about the Republicans. A lot of times what Republicans will do is they will go to the local TV station in Dayton, Ohio. They'll find the number one TV station there and they'll do interviews there. And they'll have their local congressman on there. So they're not on CNN. They're not on MSNBC. They're not on the um, overall ABC, NBC, CBS, National News, and they're not on the New York Times. But they're in the local newspaper and they're in the local TV station. And more Americans still listen to their local news outlets than the national news outlets. The result is that the Republicans are able to pursue a message that flies under the radar of the national press that doesn't get the national press attention. While the Democrats are so focused on winning the war on Twitter and in the New York Times, the Republicans are out there seeding the ground locally. Just because you and I don't hear it doesn't mean it isn't happening. That's what they say. Now, I still do think you got to engage in this stuff. You can't just abdicate it, but they do have a fair point that it's not like they're going to get a fair hearing from the New York Times or from NPR or from MSNBC. So why bother? And I do understand that. Uh, back to the polls we go. Scott, you're going to be up next. Welcome to the program. Thank you. Sure. Can you hear me? Yes, I can. Uh, Eric, I, I've been listening to you, and, and uh, I think uh, a lot of Americans appreciate your, your different opinions. But uh, this this Russian issue with regards to Ukraine, I think uh, Putin will only uh, respond to something much stronger than what the Republicans or the Democrats are talking about. It would seem like if you advised him that you're going to drill as much oil as you can in America, just like we used to, that that would economically uh, have such an effect upon the Russian citizenry, along with going to the Germans and making sure that there's an agreement not to uh, use the pipeline that hasn't been completed yet. I think that that is a lot of leverage that uh, that neither the president nor the Republicans are talking about. 
Yeah, you know, it's, it's funny you should say this. Ted Cruz is actually one of the few people who's raised this issue publicly. It's not necessarily oil per se here. It's natural gas of which we have a lot and we can ship it to Europe. So the Europeans, if we had, for example, a Berlin airlift of natural gas via ship to Europe on a sustained basis, we would be undercutting Vladimir Putin right now. And we're not doing that. And we should be doing that. The The Europeans, by the way, NATO has suggested we do this. It, it it's boggles the mind that Biden has it. There is leverage we can put on Vladimir Putin. For Joe Biden, though, to say a minor incursion into Ukraine will only be met with reciprocal sanctions was nuts because you give Vladimir Putin an inch, he's going to take a mile. It signaled weakness. It signals weakness to China. Whether you want to admit it or not, we have a problem. The Biden administration is signaling so much weakness. I suspect within a year of the Winter Olympics in Beijing, China will invade Taiwan, and it's only a matter of weeks now before the Russians invade Ukraine. They may even coordinate it right after the Olympics, all of them together. The Russians and the Chinese are talking. They think that Biden is a doddering old fool, and they're right. He is. Uh, they've The White House has decided to double down on dementia for 2022. That seems to be their campaign play. The Russians and the Chinese are hungry for expansion. The Russians feel threatened by NATO. They want to exert themselves and pretend they're still a superpower. The Chinese want to be the global superpower. And they are in a fractious, quiet alliance with each other for the Russians to take Ukraine and the Chinese to take Taiwan and expand territory. And the Biden administration is showing overall weakness. For Joe Biden to, in a press conference, say a minor incursion really wouldn't be a big deal, that invites a major incursion from the Russians, knowing that the Biden administration is not going to respond. It was a profoundly destabilizing statement by the president of the United States. For four years with Donald Trump, progressives told us it was only a matter of time before he started a war. And in fact, Joe Biden, or Donald Trump rather, was the first president in decades to not start a war. Joe Biden has bragged about pulling us out of Afghanistan, however chaotically it was, as there's nothing he has to apologize for. But Joe Biden has further destabilized the world. There was a Houthi rebel attack in the Middle East. The Houthi are a terrorist organization that the Trump administration put on the terror watch list, and Joe Biden removed them from the terror watch list. They're allied with Iran, and they've been engaged in terrorist attacks in Saudi Arabia throughout the Middle East. There's another one. The White House has condemned it as a terrorist attack, has refused to put them back on the list. They have emboldened Iran and the Iranian-related terror groups. They've emboldened Vladimir Putin. They've emboldened China. This is what happens when you put a decrepit, geriatric dementia patient in the White House. For all of you people who thought it couldn't be worse than Donald Trump, he's profoundly destabilizing planet Earth, and he's going to provoke a war. And it's probably going to be a global war, and it's probably going to happen this year. And we will probably sit it out and watch American prestige and trust of other countries in us decline around the world. And we will shake up a liberal world order, and the United States, through Joe Biden's actions, will help build an illiberal world order. Some of you don't want the United States to be the policeman of the world. Just you wait until China and Russia 
are the policemen of the world. By then, it'll be too late for you to realize you were an idiot. You think it's a good idea for us to see the world stage to two totalitarian regimes? You're out of your mind. Joe Biden is out of his mind, and that's what he's going to let happen, and the world will be profoundly destabilized because of it. I have strong opinions on this one. This is an insane foreign policy by the President of the United States. Now, let me tell you about it. Let's, let's get to happy topic, Eden Pure. Eden Pure, their thunderstorm air purifier, cleans the air, and it's filterless. So you're not stuck with a subscription to filters. I've got a giant industrial air purifier, and I had to spend hundreds of dollars the other day on air filters. Now, this one, because of the space where it is, I have to use a giant industrial size one. But I can use the Eden Pure in my car. I can use it in an RV. I can use it in the basement. I can use it in my kitchen. I can use it upstairs. Right now, you can get three of them, so you don't have to carry it around the house. What you do is you go to EdenPureDeals.com and you click on Eric Erickson and you'll see the Eden Pure Thunderstorm 3-pack. You put it in your cart and at checkout, you use the discount code ERIC3, ERIC and the number 3, E-R-I-C-K, 3. And you get $200 off. You get them all three for less than $200. And you get free shipping. It's an incredible deal for an incredibly well-made product, the Eden Pure Thunderstorm. EdenPureDeals.com, click on Eric Erickson, put it in your cart and at checkout, you use the discount code Eric three, and you'll clean the air in your house. Hello there. It is Eric Erickson here. Uh, I, 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 I should, oh my, I should not have done this. I, I got on Instagram. There's a guy I follow. He's a nutritionist. Nice guy. I gotta lose a little weight. He's, he's actually a, 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 a guy, great guy to follow. Um, and <laughs> to read his lips what the okay so apparently there's a new diet weight loss trend i can't play the clip because i can read his lips he's using lots of f words where people lie down and get wrapped in towels and then someone covers the towels in alcohol and they light it on fire to burn off the fat i'm not making that up it's real He's got the video. I would play it, but for all the F words, I can tell that he's using for reading his lips. This is insanity. You know, you actually got to eat better. I got to eat better. I'm trying to eat. My wife, God bless my wife. She's lost 50, 60 pounds. Uh, just, and she weighs out everything she eats, the chicken and the eggs and lots of protein. And I got to do better on protein and, and God bless her for doing it. It works. I haven't done it and I need to. I got to get over the beer and pizza diet, but I love the beer and pizza diet which isn't much of a diet. Nonetheless, I digress. I got to move on. Uh, I, I, I got to, I want to say something at the end to listeners who may be on the left. There, Ted Lasso has really brought it to American audiences, but there's a saying, if you were a fan of, of English football, which is soccer, it's the hope that kills you. Um, there's a downside of being an optimist when there's nothing to be optimistic about. We're going to go back to the beginning, the Biden administration trotting out Tom Hanks to try to sell an optimistic version of the country. It literally is a Simpsons movie plot line. Hello, I'm Tom Hanks. The U.S. government has lost its credibility, so it's borrowing some of mine. Literally a plot point. And Tom Hanks in his video says, you know, we're third year in the pandemic. 
economy is not great, but it's getting better. You got to be brave. You got to pull yourself up by the bootstraps. Be brave. It's not really a compelling argument for re-election. It's not really a compelling argument for the midterms. The downside of being an optimist when no one else is an optimist is that you look crazy. And right now in the United States, a whole lot of people are still hurting. Businesses are closed or they can't get enough staff to operate at full capacity. People are going to grocery stores and they're seeing empty shelves. Joe Biden wants you to know that the store shelves, they're they're no more empty than they were before the pandemic now. 80 some odd percent as opposed to like like 89% empty as opposed to 91 before the pandemic. Except you go all the time and they're out of stuff. But he wants you to think things are good. Gas prices coming back down. It's, It's certainly better now, isn't it? But inflation's still bad. When you try to make a case for optimism that is not met by the reality of the lived experience of the American public, you are working towards a backlash against yourself. You can't tell people things are good when they don't feel it. When Ronald Reagan was president and he ran his re-election campaign and he focused on the Morning in America ad campaign, one of the greatest political ad campaigns, everybody agrees, Democrat and Republican ever, the point was to make people who didn't feel like it was good realize that, you know what, actually, things have turned around now. Inflation's down, the economy's roaring back, people are happy again. I need to focus on that. Biden can't do that because he can't deny that we're in another wave of COVID. He can't deny that store shelves are still empty. He can't deny that inflation is still rampant. He can't deny those things that the Reagan ad pointed out to people. Hey, remember all that stuff from four years ago? It's gone away. All the things Biden wants you to forget about are still here. Schools are still closing. Kids are going remote. Mask mandates are still in force. People are still losing their jobs because of the vaccine. It's not going to work for him. It's 2022, and guess what? Nothing still makes sense. The whole world seems to be going crazy right now, and banks have gotten really skittish at helping small businesses. They're perfectly happy to help the giant businesses, but what about you? You're a small business. you got to buy a building or build a building, or you need a big loan for a fleet of vehicles to grow your business, and the banks are giving you a hard time. Check out my friends at First Liberty Building and Loan. They can help you nationwide, wherever you are, if you're a small business and you need access to loans, let's say 500000 and up, First Liberty can do it. They've been doing this since the early 90s. The Frost family are friends of mine. They're committed Christians and they're great business people and they are committed to small businesses. Reach out to them. FirstLibertyGA.com is their website. FirstLibertyGA.com. Spend 10 minutes with them. See if they're a good fit for you. See if you're a good fit for them. They want to help you get to yes where the big banks are saying no. Nationwide, they can help you if you're a small business. FirstLibertyGA.com is the website. FirstLibertyGA.com.